Hello, welcome to the Building Through Him podcast. I am Mary Jo Parrish, founder of Kingdom Builders, and today's episode is Freedom in the Light. And just so you know, you are always loved and always welcome here. So I always like to do some funny stories because the Lord loves to hear us laugh. Our family is a little bit too dependent upon devices. And this was actually years ago. Our Wi-Fi was out. And so my 10-year-old comes running. It was like we were living in ancient times. You would not believe it, Mom. There was no Netflix. We had to manually search through DVD cases to find a movie. It was terrible. I'm like, oh, okay. My kids didn't have to live through commercials, right? All the long commercials. My daughter, Adelina, at one point in time had asked if we could go to the library. And I was like, oh, absolutely, we can go to the library. Aiden, once again, starts freaking out. And even though he's an avid reader, and I was like, what is wrong? He says, Mom, the library equals chaos. We get the books, then someone allows someone else to borrow a book, then it gets lost. We receive those letters, more and more letters, and then fines for the missing books. Then the the older kids start blaming us for being irresponsible, and everyone's yelling, and they're searching, and everyone's stressed out. And so library just equals chaos. It all sounds so good before you check out the books, but it's not. Let's just keep reading the books from home and have peace. And I'm like, well, he's not wrong. In our city, they created this no late fees on children's books. And this was like a big deal in my family. My kids were like, call me. They're like, mom, I can go to the library again. <laughs> my late fees from, you know, 2001 finally dropped off and I can get library books again. I'm like, oh, okay. So apparently the whole library fine stress was weighing on my kids without me even knowing. My friend posted this meme online. It has this like sassy guy in it. And it says, I have 15 years worth of outstanding. I have 15 years worth of outstanding library fines in three separate cities. And it's my hope that eventually a bounty hunter librarian will come to collect and we'll fall in love. And I'm just dying laughing because I'm like, we had so many library fees. We actually would put it as a part of our budget was library fines or like lost book fines. It just became a part of our budget. And I thought that's really appropriate that we're talking about screen addiction and reading versus screens since today we're kind of touching on that because today is freedom and light. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked upon his handmaid's lowliness. Behold, from now on, all ages will call me blessed. The Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is from age to age to those who fear him. He has shown might with his arm, dispersed the arrogant of mind and heart. He has thrown down the rulers of their thrones, but lifted up the lowly. The hungry he has filled with good things, the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped Israel, his servant, remembering his mercy, according to his fathers, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Amen. So in Kingdom Builders, we talk about our foundation a lot. We have a foundation of three things. We pray for a minimum of 10 minutes a day. I had someone who said like, 10 minutes, that's hardly anything. And I'm like, well, it's a minimum. So if you pray more than that, awesome. But we're plugging into the divine for a minimum of 10 minutes a day. We're going to church on Sundays. We're honoring that because that's a commandment. And then we're staying in a state of grace. So if there's anything that's a serious sin in our life, we're getting to the sacrament of reconciliation or self-help group or therapy, whatever we need to do to be free of that so we can have all the graces that pour into us from our Lord. 
So in Freedom of the Light, we have that broken up into three different caves, the cave of Plato, the cave of Ignatius, and the cave of Bethlehem. So the cave of Plato, you may not know, but Plato was this Greek philosopher in 400 BC. And he writes the story about the allegory of the cave, and you may have heard of it before. So in the allegory of the cave, there's this crowd of people chained together, staring at shadows on the wall. These people have never left the cave. They've never turned around to see that the shadows are actually being cast by puppets behind them held by other people. And this is their reality because it's all they know. It's just a life of looking at puppet shadows. So one day, one of these men escapes because he turns around and he, you know, breaks free. He gets outside into the daylight. And at first he's uncomfortable, right? Because the light's like shining down. He's like blinded by the overwhelming light of the day. But he realizes that those shadow puppets are not reality and that he was created for the light. He's totally amazed. He's enamored with his discovery. He never wants to go back to the cave's darkness. He realizes, however, that he has to go back to help other cave dwellers escape. And just like many of those cave dwellers in Plato's story, it's very easy for us to get lost in distraction. Our brains have become so addicted to every shadow puppet food offered to it, right? TV shows, social media, news is at our fingertips 24-7. It's like this mental gluttony of information. And that mental gluttony fills us with this anxiety because we can never turn it off. This happens to me too. I couldn't find this source of information. My kids were like asking about some bizarre animal. So I like Googled it and I went to like four different sites and I couldn't find the answer. And then I recognized that because I couldn't find the answer, my body was actually having a physical reaction to it. My heart started racing. I could feel my adrenaline pumping. I was super irritated. And I was like, oh my gosh, what is wrong with me? I'm having a physical reaction to the impatience of getting my information. It's not even important. Our brains lack patience and they become incapable of hearing the soft, and gentle movement of the Holy Spirit within us. Our brain consumes and consumes and consumes, yet it's continually hungry because it's not satisfied with those shadow puppet shows that we keep feeding it. It's longing for true food. It's longing for the light. And sometimes it's not just our brain's response. It's actually more than that. Many of us were not raised with the skills to face vulnerability or discomfort. We have learned to numb ourselves to avoid facing that vulnerability or discomfort. Self-help author Jennifer Loudon, she calls our numbing devices shadow comforts, which is pretty ironic since we're talking about puppet shadows and whatnot. I was like, oh, the Lord totally wants this. When we're feeling anxious or hurt or depressed or lonely or vulnerable or helpless, Rather than to actually enter into that discomfort and be like, why do I feel this way? Shadow comforts act as a numbing device. So we'll instead eat something or binge alcohol or screens or whatever. They can feel like comfort 
and they do offer some short-term pleasure, but they do not provide our body and soul rest or renewal. It's like trickery. They only cast shadows over our lives. So the thing we think is actually helping is actually just helping us avoid it and making it worse. We have a comfort-driven culture. We love our Starbucks drive through We love our Uber Eats. We love our Kroger click list. Me too. I totally love them all. I was even talking to my son late at night and he was like, hold on, mom. Alexa, turn off light. And then he went back to a story and I was like, oh my gosh, we can't even turn off our own lights. How sad is that? It's the comfort-driven culture. We don't just love our comfort. We're obsessed with our comfort to the point that we've decided, hey, blankets are not enough. Now we need to have heated blankets. We need a weighted blanket. We need to create a blanket that's kind of like a robe, but not quite a robe. We're going to call it a snuggie. Comfort-driven culture. At what point does it stop, right? This is Pope Benedict XVI. The world offers you comfort, but you were not made for comfort. You were made for greatness. So we don't just want to sit in a pile of shame. Man, we're terrible. Just, you know, eating all these comfort foods, living in our comfort filled lifestyle and we're feeling bad about it. Like Lord doesn't want that, right? We don't just want to sit in that pile of shame. We want to ask ourselves, why? Why are we like this? We want to understand so that we can move out of that, right? So some psychologists have hypothesized that we naturally desire to stay within the comfort of our cave because our ancestors knew that when they left the cave, they faced the danger of like a saber-toothed tiger or a mammoth or something, that our instinct to stay in the cave was based on our survival. It's a survival instinct, right? Now, add in a worldwide pandemic, and you can see why so many people don't want to leave the comfort of their home or their cave. Whatever the psychological reason, when we are stuck in our cave, we can become so focused on shadow comforts that we become accustomed to the dark. But like the man who escapes that cave, he walks out of the cave, that's the very journey of every Christian on earth. We are not created to be cave dwellers. We were not. We are children of the light. We've been chosen. Jesus offers us a chance to participate in his work. What a gift, right? Like what an honor. The work he desires us to do It's not comfortable. It isn't, but it's glorious and it's hard and it's amazing and it's hope-filled and it's exhausting and it's fulfilling and it's what we were created for. It's what we were created to do. The last thing before Jesus rises to heaven that he tells us to do is go out and preach the gospel, right? Go out to the world. He does not say, stay in your cave, get wrapped up in your snuggie, maybe a weeded blanket, maybe this kind of, you know, binge on Netflix. He doesn't say any of that. He says, go out. Like you think like of all the things our Lord could have said before he rose. This is it. This is the last thing you could say to his people. He said, go out. That's our invitation to participate in his work. God is calling his children of the light to bring that freedom to those trapped in their caves of darkness. What a gift, like, what an honor to do that. He's called us, his children, 
to a great and holy life, not a comfortable life, one of greatness. This is 2 Timothy 1, 8 and 9. Beloved, bear your share of hardship for the gospel with the strength that comes from God. He saved us and called us to a holy life. So St. Ignatius does something completely different with a cave, okay? He makes his cave like holy. So if you're like, who's Ignatius? I'm talking about St. Ignatius of Loyola because there's more than one. He has such incredible wisdom. I pull from him probably than I, more than I do any other saint. He was this really gifted Spanish soldier. He fought valiantly in the 16th century, and he dreamed of these worldly honors and advancement in battle until he had a really bad injury in his leg. And so during his recuperation, it was a really long rec- recuperation, his sister-in-law gives him the Book of the Saints, and he's like, really praying with these saints. And he realizes that his desire to be in battle, to fight valiantly, that as soon as that battle was over, the feeling went away. And when he was reading about these saints and learning about their lives and how they valiantly fought for the Lord, that that feeling of joy, just this Holy Spirit joy stayed with him. It was present with him and it didn't leave. And he was like, something's there. So after he recovered from this terrible injury, he goes into his cave, this cave for nine months. And during that time of spending just nine months just with the Lord, he writes this beautiful way for us to discern the will of God. The Bible quote that he used all the time was Mark 8, 36. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world? yet forfeit their soul. You would say that all the time. So when you're comfortable and you don't want to leave your comfort, just think to yourself, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? You know, St. Ignatius used this when trying to convert Francis Savior. And together they ended up beginning the Jesuits. So when Francis was like partying and having a good time, he would just whisper that, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? He would just whisper that. Then once Francis finally had, you know, someone die of an STD in his life, someone killed in a gambling incident, someone drink himself terribly, like he was like, oh my gosh, all these people are dying around me because they're being fed by the world and I'm created for more. And that came from that Bible quote, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? And so St. Ignatius comes up with the rules of discernment in this cave. And he went from a life of wealth and comfort to being alone and in poverty in this cave. And in that place of detachment, the Lord like outpoured his wisdom. These are some of the most powerful ways to grow in the spiritual life. And if you're listening to this podcast, if you're familiar with the podcast, you'll say like, oh, I remember you talking about those you go back to July 2022, the search for God's will, everything is in there. And there's even a printout on our website, buildingthroughhim.com. If you click resources, it's on the gathering notes. So you actually can just do a printout because I love myself a piece of paper. And it's been really, really transformative in my life just to know what the Father desires and to be able to live in that. So that's super helpful. But another thing that St. Ignatius tells us is about 
agere contra. It's to act against or do against. So what does that mean? It's like if a stick is bent in one direction, in order to bend it back in another direction, you actually have to bend it back further, right, in the opposite direction in order for it to be balanced. So it's not like choosing suffering for the sake of suffering. The goal of Ezra and Contra is detachment. It's to separate ourselves from any attachments that are barriers to us reaching and connecting to the divine. So like, how would we apply that in our own life? Let's say we are really focused on money. If you're really focused on money, give some away. If you're addicted to food, fast from one meal a week. Let's say you are dreading saying a decade of the rosary, say a whole rosary. You don't really want to read a book to your toddlers. Read three books to your toddlers. You don't really want to get on the treadmill for 15 minutes. Go for 30 minutes. You don't want to drink a glass of water. Drink two glasses of water. You can add this to any part of your life. And what that does is it allows you to be completely detached. You actually go in the opposite way to rebalance and to reorder your life. And it's incredibly powerful. This is St. Ignatius' quote. All the things in this world are gifts of God, created for us to be the means by which we can come to know Him better, love Him more surely, and serve Him more faithfully. As a result, we ought to appreciate and use these gifts of God in as so far as they help us toward our goal of loving service and union with God. But in as far as any created things hinder our progress toward our goal, we ought to let them go. So this is the summary of that quote. Anything that leads us towards God, that's good, right? God has his fingerprints on the world. They're called transcendentals. He is good, he's beautiful, he's true. So when you see the good and beautiful true, those should lead us to God, right? However, if those things become a barrier to our Lord, get rid of them. Azure and Contra, take them away. If they're a barrier to the divine, get rid of them or limit them, whatever you need to do so that there's nothing in between the Lord's heart and your heart. There's pure connection there. So the steps of Azure and Contra recognize the things that are keeping you attached to this world, you know? And you can just like close your eyes, not if you're driving, close your eyes and just say, Jesus, show me the things that I'm attached to that are keeping me from full connection with you. And then go in the exact opposite direction. That's it, two steps. Recognize the things, go in the opposite direction. So what does this look like in real life? An example, I think it was probably like 12 years ago. I decided that I really wanted to spend some time praying about what the Lord wanted for my Lent. And this was honestly probably the first time I really prayed about what He wanted me to give up for Lent or add to my schedule for Lent. Normally I was like, what do I want to do? I was like, Lord, what do you want me to do? And He just kind of showed me that I was spending more time looking at Facebook than I was in the eyes of my children or into His eyes. And so very reluctantly, I gave up Facebook. And I had a whole, you guys know I have 10 kids, so I think I had eight at the time, and they were all home. And this was like my way to connect with other adults. And I was actually super lonely at first when I gave up Facebook. It was like three days in, and my son Logan was like, Mom, what is wrong with you? And I said, I know it's so stupid. I know it's so stupid, but I was like, I know it's embarrassing, but I actually am going through withdrawal. I like 
miss talking to my friends and seeing their baby pictures. And like, it was my source of connection and energy. It was so sad. He was like, mom, I think you would really like this Bible game, this Bible app. And I was like, I don't think I would. I'm not a big game person. And he was like, I think you would like it. And I was like, fine. So he puts this app on my phone and it's Bible trivia. And I got totally obsessed with it. Like, okay, addiction runs in my blood for sure. So I like start on this Bible app and it was like, who was the oldest son of Abraham? And I was like, Isaac. And it was like, wrong, Ishmael. And I was like, dang it, Hagar. I, you know, so then I was like, okay. It would start to ask me questions and I would get things wrong. No one likes to be wrong, right? So I would open up my Bible and I'd like go through that and I was like, hunt down what, oh my gosh. I was not opening my Bible. I just want to make sure everyone knows because I was looking to grow in love of the Lord, to grow in knowledge of his word. I was only looking in my Bible to prove the app wrong. But guess what? The word is alive. It doesn't matter. It did its own thing in my heart. So first of all, I was doing like so many games and then looking in the Bible a little bit. And then slowly it was less games and more Bible. And to the, finally to the point where I actually wasn't even doing the game anymore. I was just in my Bible. And I fell in love with the word in a way I had never known even existed. I remember hearing people talk about it, but I was like, oh my gosh, I love him. I hear him. I feel his love for me. I hear his words to me. And I was like, I wonder what would happen if I would prepare for the mass in this way. So I started reading Sunday scriptures before we even got to the mass. And guess what? The mass came alive. I was like, oh my gosh, our priest is so smart. What happened? He all of a sudden got so wise. It was not him. It was totally me. Like, because I had prayed with the word, the mass came alive in a way I had not known. I've always had a great and deep love for the Eucharist. But the other part of that is the word. And when those two things, when the word made flesh and and the word come together, it's like, oh, the fire of the Holy Spirit just pours out. So what I thought would take away all my joy and pleasure, removing that Facebook from my life, the Lord brought forth so much joy and knowledge and healing and Holy Spirit power. Like the enemy will convince us, oh, you need this thing. It's the only thing you have, girl. You need just to go ahead and claim that thing because it's your only thing. Like all you have is that. Don't just, don't give that up. You've given up enough and you'll convince us that we need that thing, whatever it is. He doesn't want Azure and Contra. He doesn't want us to remove barriers to the vine, right? Because he wants us separated from God. Remove it anyway. Just trust me on this. Trust that the Lord is good. He will never be outdone in generosity, right? And so when I did that, the Lord just poured out his glory and I was just so shaken. My mass, I always now prepare for the masses because I know the difference between walking into mass not praying with the readings and walking to mass prayed with the readings. If you want your mask to come alive, I just encourage you, try it for like one month. Try it for one month and just to see how the Lord will work in your, la- in your life in ways you never thought possible. That's the power of the word. Okay, so we know that Lent began on Ash Wednesday, right? We know that we're called into deeper prayer, right? We're called into the discomfort of fasting and almsgiving. We're called to honor and prepare ourselves more beautifully as a temple of God. This is 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are a temple of God 
and that the Holy Spirit dwells within you. I love that. Honoring that temple means that we must understand how it was designed, okay? So we know that America is the wealthiest nation on earth, right? We can have whatever fabulous food, drink, or screen show that we require 24 hours a day, right? It's a whole conversation when fall comes about what type of latte we're going to have in our house. Is it a salted caramel mocha? Is it a little pumpkin? Is it, you know, all these different varieties of lattes? Like we get whatever we want to drink, whatever we want to eat, whatever we want to watch. Like we are very, very wealthy, this nation is, and we're spoiled, right? We are. So if we have all these comforts, right? Why is our nation the most depressed nation on earth? Why? There's an answer. But first, let me just quote Pope Benedict XVI once again. The world offers you comfort, but you were not made for comfort. You were made for greatness. Mm. I had to do that quote two times because it's one of my favorites. So there's an answer. There's this book called Dopamine Nation. It is not a Christian book. It's a science book. This doctor, Dr. Anna Lemke, talks in there about how our bodies were created to survive scarcity. So the potato famine, harsh winters, worldwide pandemics, you know, whatever it was, holocausts, like we were created to survive that. We're created to survive scarcity. God made our bodies beautiful and strong. The enemy will try to convince us that our our bodies are not beautiful, but they are very good and they are beautiful. God made them beautiful and strong and he made them to not only survive in scarcity, but to multiply in scarcity. But my brothers and sisters, we are not living in scarcity. We're not. We are like cacti in a rainforest, drowning in dopamine. Our bodies were not made for the continual release of so much dopamine. Dr. Lemke explains that our bodies are continually trying to balance themselves between pain and pleasure to reach a state of equilibrium called homeostasis, right? So that probably sounds familiar to some of you science people, right? Trying to constantly balance that homeostasis. Dopamine nation, our dopamine nation is depressed anxious, overwhelmed, because they are drowning in a rainforest of dopamine. She explains that it's like these little gremlins on a teeter-totter. So I'm not like super science-y, but this doctor explains things in a way that I'm like, oh yeah, I can totally get that. So I like the gremlins on a teeter-totter. So let's say that we are allowing ourselves to enjoy all these pleasures, right? chocolate, social media, gaming, pornography, shopping, like all these pleasures on one side. And what the body does is it's trying to balance that pain pain and pleasure, right? That homeostasis. It says, send out the terrible gremlins. Too much pleasure is happening right now. Send them in. And so in order to balance our bodies, It sends out those pain gremlins so we can actually feel physical pain. We can feel anxiety. We can feel depression. All these things in an effort to balance. But this is the good news. And it's such good news. The opposite is true as well. 
when we go through suffering or discomfort, like if we fast from a meal, if we choose to take a cold shower, if we exercise, our body's reflex is exactly the opposite. We've been preparing for this moment. We are about to die. Send out all the happy chemicals. We must survive. Okay, so then you have the balance of that happening. This one of her patients said that he takes ice cold baths every day because he feels amazing afterwards for like four to five hours. And that's the body's response. It's like he gets into that cold water, sends out the happy gremlins. We've been preparing for this. And then all of a sudden he feels amazing for four to five hours. We end up feeling better after experiencing short amounts of discomfort. What an awesome thing to learn in the middle of Lent, right? So we can just embrace that during Lent. I always wondered like, man, Lent's really hard, but I always feel really good during Lent. Until I read this book, I was like, that's why I feel good during Lent because the dopamine is reduced. And so my body has better balance, but we can embrace that as a way to renew our body, our mind, and our soul. So let's say you have Lent plans and they're going awesome. Let's say you have not even thought about Lent and you're like, wait, we're in Lent? Let's say that you're not even sure what Lent is. Jesus will meet you there. Let's say you get lots of dopamine going on. Or you have low dopamine going on. Jesus will meet you there. Little suffering happened in your life or a lot of suffering happened in your life. Jesus will meet you there. Jesus meets us exactly where we are at. Exactly where we're at, right? And that leads us to the cave of Bethlehem. Romans 5, 8. God proves his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus was born into poverty in a cave in Bethlehem. So the thought is it could be a cave or it could be a stable, but many theologians believe it was a cave. So that's the reason we're talking about the cave. Jesus was born to die for love of us. He comes to meet us right where we're at. His life is an indication of that. Like he comes right into that poverty, into that misery, right where we need him to be. I don't know if any of you have watched The Chosen, but my favorite episode is when Jesus meets the woman at the well. So deeply powerful. So reading this in scripture, we know that the woman was a Samaritan and the Samaritans were looked down upon because the Jewish people believed that they had like interbred. We know that she's drawing water alone at noon. And so why does that matter? Because it's hot at noon, right? The sun is full shining at noon. And we know that women at that time would have drawn water together at the cool part of the day. So we can ascertain from that that she was rejected and she was isolated. She was ostracized. And Jesus actually separates himself from the apostles so that he can meet her there. He can meet her in her misery. He doesn't reject her. He actually promises her the living water himself. So we're going to look at that real quick. John chapter 4. And Jesus says this to her. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I shall give will never thirst. 
The water I shall give will become in her a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go and call your husband and come back. The woman answered and said to him, I do not have a husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I do not have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. And she replies, What you have said is true. I know the Messiah is coming, the one called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us everything. Jesus says to her, I am he, the one speaking with you. And so the Samaritan woman at the well then goes and tells the whole village. She leaves the comfort of her cave, right? She's completely isolated to go and bring other people to Jesus. She's actually living out what we're called to do. And later on, you can see how the Samaritans are completely transformed and come to believe in the gospel. And you have to know that it started from her, from her witness. It's so beautiful. The Lord doesn't pretend like she doesn't have sins, right? The Lord calls him out. He knew all her sins, but he didn't reject her. He didn't. He knew the true love that she was thirsting for. He met her exactly where she was at to give her the living water himself. He's offering her freedom in his light. And no matter where we are at, the Lord was born into that cave of our misery and meets us right there and loves us right there. So no matter if we are exhausted by mental gluttony, no matter whether we have been trapped in the endless cave puppet shows, if we're addicted to shadow comforts, if we are alone and in shame and thirsting for the living water, the light of the world is at our door and he is asking to come in. If you would like more information about Kingdom Builders or would like to know how to bring this apostolate to your parish, please go to our website at buildingthroughhim.com and click Build With Us. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.